Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, my name's Jess Phillips, and this is yours sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Nathaniel Hall is an actor, writer and theatre maker who's appeared in the TV show It's a Sin. He's the co-creative director of the Manchester Pride Candlelit Vigil and an HIV awareness activist. Today I'm excited to talk to him about the letters he would send to three people who mean the world to him. So hello Nathaniel, how are you? I'm very well, Jess. How are you? I noticed you've got a t-shirt on that says gender is a construct, honey. I, I, I couldn't work out what the last word was. I thought it said like hippie. Is gender is a construct hippie? I was thinking, I don't get it, uh, but it says honey. No, it's one of my favourite t-shirts. It's, it's a good t-shirt. So this is all about letter writing and I don't, how old are you, Nathaniel? I'm 35 years old. Oh my God, you're literally the cut-off point of what I'm about to say. Is that I think that people, you, so you are, you're on the cusp of this. Uh, people under the age of 35 don't really ever write letters and never really have. Whereas people over the age of 35 have all got stories about some weird kid that they had to write letters to in the early 1990s, 1980s, because their parents made them pen pals. Uh, And some of the people who are under 35 have sometimes had to explain what the concept of a letter is. So which one of these things are you, cuss-dweller? I'm definitely on the the letter writing side and the letter receiving side. I have got. I, I was. Um, I had a French exchange student. So oh, you like letters, like trying to write in a different language. You know, where you just like literally like going, "Hello, how are you? I am okay. Today I went to the swimming pool. I didn't even go to the swimming pool. It was just the only thing I could say. Yeah. So yeah. So no, I've got loads, and I went through my old memory box as preparation to look at some of the kind of old letters I got from my teenage years because. I'm of the MSN generation as well. So lots of conversations on MSN with that, you know, that little sound and stuff, but still have got some pen and ink letters as well. Okay. See, I think I I missed the MSN thing. Uh, I was in, I'm 40, nearly 41. 
and uh, I, I I never did the messenger thing on MSN. I think I think I just I had babies when I was quite young, and I just think that I just was changing people's nappies at the point when that was the thing. So your French ex- your French exchange did they write delightfully English letters back to you? Their English was a lot better than my French. Well, I'm, I'm not, we are rubbish at languages. <laughs> I'm not going to get political about the state of the educational system, but my comprehensive high school in Stockport, languages were not the forte. Um, so, yeah, but actually, I, I, you know, I was looking through my memory box and I found a card. So when I was on the French exchange, I fell in love with one of, not, not with my French exchange partner um, who I was living with, but one of her friends, a girl, because I wasn't, I wasn't gay back then. I was, I just wasn't out. Um, and I found this, I found in my memory box, this card that she'd given me, like on the way back. And I remember us like hugging and she was like sobbing and I read it. And like, it was like this beautiful, I think she'd like drawn pictures in it. And it was like this beautiful poetry. And I think like, by the time I was on the, the coach, I was like already signing up to the deputy head girl. Like I'd already forgotten. And I feel so bad. You're <laughs> bad about young love. You, it's meant to be fleeting. I it mean, is. She just had good penmanship and wanted to show it off. I mean, she was using you as much as you were using her. Don't you worry about her. I wonder what she's up to now. Uh, this is a common theme on this podcast where I want to find out what has happened to the pen pals. Of uh, There's going to be the follow-up to this podcast is where I go around France and Germany. I'm going to go and find them all. Weird, like now 45-year-old Germans who... And I'm going to find your young French woman. Well, and- well her, her name was Joanna. Oh, I'm actually friends on Facebook because she found me on Facebook recently, um, which is one of the great things about social media and stuff. You can find people. Yeah, so... Um, so yeah, it's like when I watch Long Lost Family and they're like, oh, it looks okay to find them. I'm like, they just did a Facebook search, didn't they? Let's be honest. It's not that difficult. I know, because when I was a kid, we had surprise, surprise. And it would have been harder back then when there was no, like, Google. But like, you know, within minutes, I can find somebody. I mean, internet stalking is literally like, it's the pastime of 99% of the office workers. Totally. And do you know what? I also found some letters um, from one of my early boyfriends as well. So he did this really cute thing where he was going on holiday for four weeks, I think, with his parents, which was obviously, when you're in Young Lords, that's like forever, isn't it? So he, he wrote me a letter for every day that he was away to open, which now looking back, like, seems a bit creepy. Um, but anyway, it was quite cute at the time. And and well, yeah, it was nice, but literally by about day five, he'd run out of things to say. So it was just like they just got shorter and shorter and shorter, and they were just like going, "Now we've now we'll be at this place. Lots of love." <laughs> that was it. I was like, "You needn't have wasted your time, really." Just but see, young people one. write letters now. Like when we went on holiday, even just me and my mates, we would write each other letters when we like you'd gone to like. I don't know, Dorset for five days. And we would write letters before we went about how much we were going to miss each other. Did people just feel things more when there wasn't, like, we weren't, like, bombarded with... And also we couldn't keep in touch with each other via Instagram or whatever. Like, my mate just got to France literally, uh, like, not even, like, five hours ago. And she was going this morning and she's already sent me a picture of her house where she's staying, which she's described as being a sex dungeon. Um, <laughs> Sounds great. Quite, I'm in. It, it looks it's uh, it looks quite sex dungeony. It's got like a glass floor, and you can see this big dungeon underneath. Um, but she's got three kids, little ones. There'll be no sex dungeoning for her. But um, I suppose it's the same, isn't it? 
now. That's what people do now, rather than writing letters saying... They, they go to, to sex dungeons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right, though. I think there's, we're so... It's so immediate, isn't it? Social media. And we have it all the time. And you forget, like, my, my, my brother... Um, and his partner and their young baby live in Canada. They've just moved to Canada. And you feel like you're part of their lives because we kind of got like WhatsApp groups and you're seeing stuff on social media. And then you forget like, oh, you know, like three months have passed and we've not actually really spoken. And you have to kind of make the effort, don't you? To go, let's have a phone call or, you know, or like sit down and write a letter and kind of take that time. Even in the pandemic, my brother lives in Northern France. And um, even in the pandemic, I mean, we spoke to each other. We did like a Zoom call every single day with all of us on a big screen, like, um, which is more than we've spoken to each other since we lived together in 1988. Like it was this needless amount of conversation. But still, it wasn't like it's. It, it isn't. It isn't the same. Like I didn't see him for two and a half years, uh, and like that, it's just it isn't the same as actually being with people. But it, we we can definitely con ourselves nowadays that you, you know we're, we're totally in each other's lives um, all the time. My husband hates all of that. Like he hates if I take, we go away for the week and we just went to Edinburgh and his mates at coffee this morning were telling him all the things he'd done. Cause my husband's not on any social media that he was like, how do you know? It's like, Oh, Sanchez is Instagram. Like it's like, He's like that. Yeah, me and my boyfriend the same. I'm uh, I'm a big Instagrammer and he maybe just like three or four posts a year maybe. And they're really special. They're really nice posts, but like really like, yeah, I'm like literally everything goes on there. And when when we meet people and I introduce him, they're like, oh, you're Sean. Like they just know him already. (laughs) I am... There was, I was at Edinburgh and I was sat down in one of the, the big sort of bar areas in, in the, the show bits at the Pleasance and uh, this family was sat next to us and the man came up to me at the bar, I'd gone to the bar and he said, oh, can I ask, are you Jess Phillips? And I was like, yeah, I am. Uh, and he said, oh, I wasn't sure and you'd left your husband at the table so we Googled your husband to check it was the right man and I didn't tell my husband this story when I sat back down with this family and we had a nice chat with them um because i thought my husband will literally go mental at the idea that even there is an image of him on the internet let alone that somebody is fact checking the man sat next to them literally on the table with him fact checking him yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it is slightly that is slightly weird (laughs) i didn't tell him i haven't told him because and he doesn't listen to this he has nothing to do with anything to do with my my life uh, other than the actual bit of it that's you know the real bit um so he won't ever know you all now know something that he doesn't um so uh, do you have any letters of note that you've kept for years obviously you've got your memory box full of french french letters which obviously is a term for condoms <laughs> french letters yeah i've got the french letters i've got the letters from my boyfriend but i was trying to find some like more recent ones and i don't have any i seem to be the one that always does the letter writing i don't ever seem to get a response which i'm starting to get a bit of a complex about because like i i think i write some beautiful letters in fact we'll go on to it because i've written i've written some letters to people you know that have made have been really important in my life um and i think as i think a letter is like if you've got something to say that you can't say a letter is a really really good way of doing it because you can you can you don't need to witness someone's reaction you can let them have that reaction in private and you know if you're trying to say something difficult and i always say this i've got some friends who've said this about coming out as you know as gay or bisexual or, or transgender like actually you can't you can't 
you, you don't know what that reaction is going to be. Even if someone's supportive, there might be disappointment or anger or upset in that first moment. And that can be really hard to deal with. So I think a letter is a great way to kind of do those things. But I've had, honestly, I, can't, I couldn't find any. I looked through my emails as well. All I've got is, you know, I've just got work emails and like, you know, things from the bills and debt collection agencies and all sorts <laughs> of stuff. It's boring being an adult, isn't it? <laughs> it really is boring. And do you know what? I've never even thought about that. I often talk about how, like, I write letters. I, often that I don't send because I'm trying to get the ideas together about what I would say, even sometimes to myself. It's a bit like diary writing, but, like, I'll write, like, an angry letter about leaving my job and then I'm, I reflect I'm not going to leave this job. Um, and um, I've definitely... But I've never even thought about, actually, one of the most common... Uh, big things in somebody's life that they m probably have written in a letter certainly in a bygone era would have been a coming out letter that would be that you know because it's so I think that what people don't realize about coming out that is the the first thing you've got to get over I think is probably talking to your parents about fancying people at all is pretty grim it's like that uh, you know that's a grim thing until you're an adult and you can like have a laugh with them about it it's like obscenely orcs anyway um like i want to clam up at the thought of having to do that as like a sort of teenager to talk to my mum about that sort of thing um but like that must be one of the most common things that people have had to do like that they wouldn't necessarily be a letter writer but they did that in the form of a letter yeah yeah we my, my um my, my grandparents died relatively recently so we've been looking through all their their stuff and then we've emptied their house and my, my mum's been going through every, you know literally everything and she we found so many letters between them um and my mum's one of eight and <laughs> my grandma passed away before my granddad and after she'd passed away we me and my granddad were chatting and he basically confessed that my grandma was an infomaniac which is why they had so many children <laughs> which we you know again was a bit of a revelation um but it kind of makes sense i guess when you've got eight kids um and she did love children as well she loved having children in a big family but the these letters i tell you what they're quite saucy and you forget you forget don't you it's like the past like you know they, they you know sort of born in 1930 you think oh, everything's prim and proper but it really ain't is it like I'm not at all the victorians were saucy as anything I know it's like it's like this. My grandma's writing letters to my granddad who was away. I think he was either away stationed with the navy or he was away with work, and it was basically saying like, "I can't wait for you to come back and keep me warm in bed again." You know, it's like <laughs> she's like, "I hope the kids are out when you get back." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, you're right. Just a generation back. My my. In fact, when I was a teenager, it was still like you had to come out like a. It was like it was a trauma and there was still lots of you know lots of um people who that that still would be the case if i think of like young muslim lads who are gay um you know it's still like it's still definitely a thing but then i think of my own kids and like there is no there, there is no coming out anymore it is it's just a thing it's just it's not a said thing like it, you wouldn't have to come out you don't have to come out as straight or gay. Some of my friends' kids, like, you know, come home from school and they're sort of, what, and then they're seven or eight and they're talking about pansexual, you know, and they even my friends are straight. They're like, what does pansexual mean? You know, so, like, you know, we're moving in the right direction, obviously. It depends on your upbringing. It depends on your family. It depends, well, you know, like you said, if there's, you know, even, you know, conservative Christianity, religion in play and all that sort of stuff, it's not always easy, but I think we're moving definitely in the right direction to 
you know better well yeah yeah we definitely are i can't imagine my kids sitting me down and saying it to me i don't i mean because like you know they're i mean it's like it's like a rainbow parade every day when their friends are around here so i've asked you to think about three people that you would uh, like to send some letters to which sounds like you already done so you're a good egg um you're a, a prolific letter writer um so the first one is the person who means the world to you so who would that be well, Jess, there are a number of people I could have chosen here. You know, my beautiful partner, Sean, uh, my best friends, Kira, Adam, Chris, Ross, my mum, who was also wonderful. But I'm not going to choose any of them. I'm going to be totally self-centred and I'm going to choose myself. Bravo. <laughs> well, you know what, Jess? Like, you know, as Martin Luther King once said, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love someone else? <laughs> Did <laughs> or, he say that? Well, words to that effect, anyway. So, so, so I've chosen my favourite topic of conversation. No, I've even made a show about myself, Jess. So, I, what were you expecting? No, but do you know what? It's been a journey. It has been a journey to get here. Um, so, I'm not going to apologise. What's that song? Um, you know, I've been to paradise, but I've never been to me. I was singing that three or four years ago. Now I've, I've been to me, and I know who I am. So, we're gonna we're gonna delve in deep to the letter that I would write to myself. So why have you picked yourself then? Well, I actually did. So I actually did write a letter to my 16-year-old self. Um, so um, when I was 16, uh, when uh, around the time when I was coming out as gay, uh, you know, I'd known for a while, but, um, you know, I was a Section 28 kid. It was repealed 2003, which is the year I came out, 16, the year I left school. Um, <clears throat> and we forget, actually, how homophobic the world was not that long ago. Um, uh, and I... Um, I went, I, I met someone on a park bench um, who was older than me and gay and this exotic gay creature. And we kind of started talking and we hit it off and we had this summer romance. Um, and as, as a result of that, I contracted HIV for my first time. So, so, you know, so there was all this, there was all the kind of unpicking of the shame and the internalised homophobia that you have to go through. And then all of a sudden there was this huge thing, this, you know, this HIV diagnosis, which at the time was not, you know, a death sentence like it was a few years before. Um, medication was around, but the, it was certainly not the, the diagnosis you would get today. It was much heavier. There was still lots of talk about medication side effects because they weren't as advanced as they are now. You know, there was this period of time before you were put on medication, you know. And so basically I just shut down and I didn't tell, I didn't tell anyone. I remember coming home to the bedroom I'm sat in now because I actually live with my parents at the minute and come in, put my key in the door and go and I need to go and tell my mum and I couldn't, and I came upstairs, and I actually lined up some paracetamol that night. You know, I don't think I was ever going to do it. I was a bit, watched too many episodes of Grange Hill or something. But you know, there was that, there was that thing, there was that drive, and it was like I can't go on. But what I did at that point is I just cut off, I just shut down, and I just sort of went, oh well, this thing's happened. I'm going to get on with my life, and I did. I just carried on, but I didn't tell anyone. I told, I mean, I told a few people, but I didn't tell my family, which was the main thing. And I kind of lived with this secret bubbling away for about 15 years, just, just kind of you didn't eating tell your away. Mom for 15 years? No. And the thing is, we're so close. We're a really close family. Um, but it was the power. And I have to say to people, that's the power of the shame and stigma around HIV. You know, it's the world most, world's most stigmatised illness. And I remember being in school watching in sex ed and we had this video put on and it was the only time we I saw it was the first time in fact I saw a gay person on t on a screen it's about 14 
And it was wildly out of date. And it was this guy who was dying from AIDS. And it was like the message was, don't be gay. You're going to get AIDS and you're going to die. You know, and when that prophecy came true straight away, it completely shut me down. So, you know, I went on 15 years until 2017 and I had, you know, what could be described as a mental breakdown, you know, drugs, alcohol, toxic relationships, sex, all that. So, so yeah, so I had this huge breakdown. I was really, really dependent on drugs and alcohol. I was in this awful relationship. And so I, t- I decided to turn things around and um, make a show about it. So I made a solo show called First Time. And I just don't know, it just took me on this journey. I, it, it's won awards. It's been, you know, we went to the Edinburgh Fringe. It's been on tour. It's in a hundred shows. And, you know, it kind of, it was the show that led me to get landing a role in It's a Sin on television. You know, I'm just a kid from Stockport. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> but as part of that, there's, I wrote a letter to my 16-year-old self in about 2012. And it was read in, at the Manchester Pride candlelit vigil to remember people with lost HIV and AIDS. Um, but I was still in the closet at that point. So an actor read it on my behalf. Um, so I'd already written this letter. So this is why I kind of wanted to to kind of bring it up now and talk about it. Well, and when you told your mum, as a mum, I would say that it would hurt me, not because you hadn't told me, it, the, the years of wanting to make you feel better. would I would feel like lost. I would feel like lost years that I could have tried to make you feel better, whether it had worked or not. That would be very, very hard. Yeah, it's exactly what my mum said, actually. And there was also this thing, the longer I left it, the longer I knew it, the more hurt it was going to cause. But it was just so, I tried so many times, it just always got stuck, you know. You know, there's that thing of like, did I do something wrong? What did I do as a parent that meant you couldn't come to me, you know? And and I had to, I have to, you know, it's it's been a journey since 2017 when I sent, because I, I, I told them through a letter. So that's how I told them before I made the show. And that letter is actually in the show. And everyone at the end of the show gets a copy of that letter to take home. So they go and they can they can take that letter home and read it privately. So they get to have that kind of private moment. And yeah, you know, it was it was it's been a journey to sort of rebuilding that relationship in a sense. And I, I moved back in with my parents just before the pandemic and I've lived here for nearly three years now. And it's been great because it's meant that we've rebuilt a new adult relationship, which is nice as they're getting older, you know, and that that balance changes, doesn't it? Where you're you're still the child, but you're now becoming more the adult in a sense as you start to care for them. So, um, so yeah, so I just, it was um, just this crazy thing that has, that totally ate me up for so long. My brother was a, um, a heroin addict and a crack addict for many, many years. And he would say, it's not the drugs that were going to kill him. It was the stigma that would kill him. It was, uh, stigma was killing him because you can't climb out of it. And in fact, in your case, the stigma made you have that sickness as well, which just re-stigmatizes you. And it's just like how other people will see you is the thing that is going to kill you. And like, so we all have an opportunity to the, of the medicine. We, we, the general public, the society, we have the medicine in us of, of not stigmatizing people like that. That's like I, I think that people should ma- be made to feel more powerful. That you have a you have you you are a medicine. You can be medicine to people um, by not stigmatizing them for those illnesses that that carry such dreadful stigma. 
and HIV, without doubt. HIV, drug abuse, mental health, they carry terrible stigmas. Yeah, yeah I said exactly the same thing. I, I did a, <clears throat> a speech. Um, so I, eventually, last year I spoke on the, at the Manchester Pride Vigil, you know, in instead no actors this time you know like I speak publicly now you know I don't need someone to do it on my behalf which is amazing but you know I say something similar you know I was diagnosed with HIV but it was the stigma and the shame not the virus that nearly led me to breaking point you know people don't quite understand the power of that stigma and shame I didn't understand it you know I got to that point where you know over probably the course of about five or six years my life just kind of fell apart it was like it was like a car crash, but in slow motion. And I knew it was happening. And I knew I was making these choices, these bad choices. You know, I knew I was mistreating other people because I felt crap about myself. You know, I just, I, I had such low self-worth. that I didn't care. I didn't care if I hurt people. I didn't care, you know, if I hurt myself or, you know, I'd find myself still awake two days after a house party again going, how did I get here? You know, just on this kind of cycle. And it was... It, it was so it was that moment in 2017 where I went if I don't if I don't nip this in the bud my life is going to take a real real nosedive you know and and thankfully you know the show went well and I, I mean I made the show and it wasn't really about you know profile or anything like that I just I'd not I I had not performed for quite a long time. So I wanted to prove to myself that I still had it, you know, as an actor and as a writer. And, you know, and I just wanted to get this thing off my chest. I almost like had to testify, like I had to just get it out into the universe. And I thought I'd do like three or four shows. I've got a nice little commission in, you know, in Greater Manchester. I'd do a few shows and that would be it. And if it didn't go that well, fine. I'd go down with the ship. I'd go into accounting or whatever, you know, <laughs> wave me white flag. You're not an actor. I like the way you went down with the ship, accounting. <laughs> that is going down with the ship, yeah. accounting. Um, <laughs> my son's really good at maths. I'm constantly encouraging him to be an accountant. There's, there's probably more money in than acting, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, you know, and it just really struck a chord. And it was World AIDS Day 2018. And the, the press kind of got, you know, wind of my story. And BuzzFeed News ran an article which won an award. And then I was on the BBC Breakfast Couch with Charlie and Nagger. And, you know, it just it just snowballed. BBC News article, it was, trend, it was one of the highest articles for about three, two or three days on the app. You know, it was shared all around the world. So I was sort of in this, I'd gone from nothing, from not telling anyone to everyone knowing. And it was quite overwhelming. But, um, but you know, I had so many messages. I mean, I mean, literally thousands. And since then as well, as the show has toured and with It's a Sin, like thousands and thousands of messages of p- people saying, I wish I could be open about my HIV status or... Or, you know, I'm stuck in a, an abusive relationship and you've inspired me to leave. I'm moving. I'm doing it tomorrow, you know. And it's so humbling to just go, if you, if you speak authentically, it allows others, it frees others to do the same. Like you say, that thing, you, we've got that medicine within us. It's really powerful. Yeah, it's a medicine and, and we're, we're, we're like a gift to the world. Uh, you know, that's genuinely the case. But people don't realise it. They don't think, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. It's like, no, literally there is something you can do about it. Just be nice to somebody who's having a shit time. There you go. You have changed the world immeasurably um, if you do that. So how would you sign off this letter? I mean, I presume you have it so you can tell us. Well, I've written a new ending because I didn't quite like that. Well, I've taken a little bit from the original letter. So, Nathaniel, I know you think you've totally messed things up right now. And I can't butter it up. The road ahead is going to be a rocky one. But you are more resilient than you might think. In the darkest times, remember this. You are enough. You're sincerely... Nathaniel P. 
P.S. Cut your hair. It's an absolute affront to good taste. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> well, that is very, very moving. Um, and, you know, you know, I hope that people who listen to this, you know, it always makes people feel better when people talk about their authentically about their experiences, especially of stigma, because I, I wish that we could say that that with, and it is with, with HIV is definitely it, it, it's waning, although it still would be terrifying. If one of my sons came and said to me that they were HIV positive. I would still, I, I would still feel very alarmed, but I, I grew up in the, you know, the big bloody, the, 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 the stone dropping the on the tombstone. Yeah, the tombstone. Like, that is, like, constantly my... Um, but, like, there's lots of things, like abortion is still really stigmatised and you're not meant to talk about it. And there's all sorts of things that are completely regular health issues that are still really, really stigmatised. So it is really important that people keep speaking about those things. So the second letter is to somebody, uh, you know, it would be such a baller move if you wrote every letter to yourself. Uh, <laughs> wow, it's funny you should say that. Uh, no, I'm, I haven't, I promise. So the second letter is to somebody who is no longer with us. So who would that be to? Well, this one is to, I've already mentioned before, is to my granddad um, who passed away in 2020 at the start of the pandemic and it was it was in that funny stage just before we kind we kind of knew it was coming and sort of hospitals were starting to have restrictions but we weren't quite in lockdown yet and we could see it happening in Italy and you know it, we kind of it was like it's going to happen here isn't it and my granddad had been you know had been sick for a while and been in and out of hospital and an ambulance was called because he was unwell and it was really it breaks my heart my mum was there and he said and he said to me he said Christine don't let me go in because I won't come back because he, he knew you know he knew so he went into hospital and he had an operation and he was fine and he was recovering but then my mum couldn't visit because she was asthmatic and they were saying, no, you can't come because of COVID. And then we went into, you know, full lockdown and it was no visitors and, and he died, you know, a, f a few, about a week after that. So it was really horrible, you know, and not being able to go to funerals and, and just that thought of someone, I mean, you know, the nurses said that someone was with him, but, you know, no one that he knew or loved was there. So really hard. But he was an incredible man. And I don't want to dwell too much on, you know, the sadness of his death because he is literally, like, he is the done. He's the done of our family. And I've got a huge family. I'm one of, I've got 17 cousins. My grandma and granddad, they had eight kids. You know, so there's a lot of, like... I like that the next rung down didn't all have eight kids because you would you'd be one of, like... 64. Can you imagine our carbon footprint? Yeah, it'd be dreadful. <laughs> I'm gay. I'm not having any, so I'm doing, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my bit for the planet. You are. You're, you're, you're now definitely took your quota. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, but, you know, he was an amazing, he was an amazing man. He was. And he, he really, like, grabbed life, like, to the full and lived life to the fullest. He smoked like a chimney. Well, he actually gave up later in life, but I knew he used to, I used to catch him round the back. Dave was going, don't tell your grandma smoking his woodbine. Um, you know, he drank loads of wine. He ate loads of cheese. He was just like, if, if you're enjoying life, you'll live a good life. And there was always laughter wherever he was. He, he, he never really 
I don't think he ever really grew up. He was always, I always see him in my head as a sort of naughty schoolboy. And he was a no, really naughty schoolboy as well. He was just great. And I mean, one of my f- favourite stories of my granddad. So when he was in the Navy, so he was stationed in the Navy in the late 40s, early 50s. And he was away and him and my grandma were dating. And so they'd written to one another, written letters and arranged that she was going to come. I think I think it was Southampton where it was stationed. So she was going to come and meet him for the day. They were going to go to the cinema, you know, watch some films, have a nice day. And she'd come back. Well, she arrives at the agreed, you know, point to meet. Obviously, no phones or anything to text. So I go, I'm running late. She arrives at the town clock or whatever. And this random man walks up to her and says, are you Sylvia? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm your date for today. And she's like, what do you mean? She's like, oh, well, uh, Raymond was caught dealing his um, tobacco, which is illegal in the, in the, in the Navy, and is, um, is in naval jail in Jankers. <laughs> so he sent me instead. This is the man for me. <laughs> Criminal. <laughs> so, so she went, and she did. She went to the cinema. She was like, I've travelled all the way, so I'm still going to go. And I'm still going to go. I'm not going to turn away, am I? She's like, I've paid the, the train fare. So a different era. Anyway, so just all these incredible stories, you know, of him. And he was, yeah, he was just this wonderful, wonderful man. I like that it's quite noble to send somebody else. <laughs> I think that is, like, that's a risk. That it's is quite, quite, quite trusting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that could have ended very different. Man and all that, but could have very ended very differently. That story. I might not be here. Um, so, so yeah. And he, but he was also he was one of those men. He was a, he was a Christian, and he was led by his faith. And you know, he he was, but he was fascinated by the world. And he he taught he really taught me the importance of seeking knowledge and 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 learning, not not to 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 earn money or get better. You know, just to better yourself, just be curious just to learn you know he was right up until you know he was 89 you know he was still learning new things and had this thirst for knowledge and wanted to to learn about things and I remember we were my brother's wedding my eldest brother's wedding and it was around the time the 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 gay marriage debate was raging you know in the press and stuff and I think previously my granddad only because of the era he'd grown up in you know was sort of and he and what he'd been told through his faith was that actually maybe it was for you know marriage was a man and a woman but I remember he pulled me over just before the service and he'd been praying and he just said look I've been I've been thinking a lot on this and praying a lot on this and I who am I to say that you my grandson can't have what me and your grandma have had like the absolute joy and blessings that we've had through marriage and he's like it's totally changed my perception and I think it was a really beautiful moment for me but also to just think that we we don't have to be stuck in our ways we can change and you don't you know we have this this perception that if you're old you have to be cantankerous and kind of and you don't and hateful yeah and he was not was not a bone of hate in his body what i think uh, fascinates me and, and one thing that i absolutely hate about the way that that we talk about certain generations and also certain classes of people not just certain classes old working class people is that my experience of that generation of and my grandparents were like you know like born in places that were cleared in the slums the idea that they that they weren't always striving to be clever, not not for money. My grandparents were fascinated by different cultures and reading different sorts of... I mean, you know, they only ever went to a Sharabang to Western, that's like as far as they ever got, but they were not unworldly. 
they were not unworldly at all yet the way that that old people certainly since brexit old people and working class people have been represented is just like oh my god you've totally misconstrued and when they're written about working class people are written about in anything other than like in, in modern times like if we look back yeah we're quite romantic about working class people from the 40s 50s 60s 70s but nowadays people are just thick and yeah yeah I hate that. thick and work shy isn't it that's yeah, the, that's the narrative yeah and it's not true it's not true at all and you know you might my, my grandparents i we, we always make excuses as well when we talk about you know like racism and you know or we've been having all these really important conversations you know and again black lives matter has kind of re-energized that rightly so and and you know we have this thing like well it's just a different different era different time and it's like no racism's racism my grand my grandma and granddad were not did not have a racist bone in their body you know so we are making excuses for people when we say that you know there are people who out there are racist and you know and we have to call it out but this idea that you know that generation or like you say like working class people are grouped together to be all the same like that my nan was dinner and um, uh, a single mom and she protested when they wouldn't let black South Africans play, when the teams came over, she literally, as a little old lady, went and like chained themselves to the railings of the sports stadiums. Like, you know, she she was, I mean, she was sold into servitude. That's how poor she was. Like, it's just, it's just, it's not, uh, my other granny was a racist. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you know. Yeah. It wasn't just because she was from a certain era. She didn't like foreigners. Yeah, yeah. And it, is, it, it depends. I think it, that, she was a that, nice woman to me. And I don't yeah. think that she, she didn't. Uh, and she was an incredibly generous woman and would do almost anything for anyone. But she definitely was a bit racist. Like, that's okay, you know, like to, to say that. Like, that's the reality. One of my nans wasn't. One of my nans was because some people are and some people aren't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, my, my, I, I, I really adored my granddad and my grandma and it was it's been a, a real adjustment to to kind of them not being here anymore and 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 also my grandma died before the pandemic but and had dementia I, I remember actually my they used to come round here to my mum and dad's every every Sunday for some, for for dinner and you know getting more and more frail you know trying to help them out of the car my grandma with dementia is struggling to move and walk and we were coming, I remember we were coming in, I was helping them both in and we were slightly behind and my granddad said to me, as I was helping him up the curb, she said, I'm only waiting for her to go, lad. And I just thought, that's love, isn't it? Like they, you know. Old people definitely do that. There's got to be some science. There will be somebody who's written about it. But like my nan died the day that my mum had a job interview and she waited until my mum got to the hospital to tell her that she'd got the job and she literally died five minutes later. And it's like, you know, that is like a thing. Hold on. Yeah, I think so. It's very easy now that we're not in lockdown and COVID is apparently gone, although it's not to forget what that was like because even as you were talking about when we were watching it in Italy and it felt otherworldly like I've uh, it was that that made me remember that period that I'd forgotten it's just like one day we were in lockdown but there wasn't there was this terrifying period um and yeah like I think that maybe we're all just so tired at the moment, but in the next decade, the reflection on that time is going to be epic. Like that is, it feels like something from a film. It's just, 
it was so difficult and so weird and to lose somebody during that like is just it seems and I, I remember people for the first time ever checked their privilege like without recognizing that that's what they were doing because that's like you know check your privilege um like people like me were like well we've been very lucky because we haven't known anyone who's died in this period like you know even just something like we're very lucky because we've got a garden um but that idea that we we were dodging a bullet and other people were dying was very real yeah yeah you're absolutely right and i think it's quite crazy crazy time but i think it really shows the resilience like how how we're so we you know our the structure of our society and how, and how we everything is run is we know it's so interconnected it's so finely balanced isn't it you pull one thing out and everything else starts to tumble and that's quite terrifying but actually when you when you when you're confronted with it you see quite how resilient humans are and you and you go okay that's why there's you know what is it seven billion of us you know like that's why we've made it this far we're a pack and we do have real resilience and yeah you know like we there's 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 lots of awful things about humankind but there's lots of amazing things as well and i think that period of time definitely showed that i call that socialism yeah Um, (laughs) absolutely and that's what my grandparents taught and my my granddad was definitely a socialist so (laughs) Uh, so how would you sign up a letter to your lovely granddad Uh, granddad as well as teaching me important skills like baking and how to read a map you taught me so much about what is important in this life family good food, fun and laughter. You were the absolute light, the done of our family and not a day goes by, we don't miss you. Yours sincerely, Nathaniel. We'll be back for the final letter after this short break. But first, let me tell you about something exciting coming up. This autumn, I'm hosting my first ever live audience recording of Yours Sincerely. I'll be closing off the final night of the Birmingham Literature Festival by interviewing the author, broadcaster and founder of Beauty Banks, Sally Hughes. Come and join us on October the 9th at the Birmingham Rep for a great conversation and the chance to ask your own questions. To find out more and get tickets, visit the Birmingham Literature Festival website, which will be linked in the description. Ever yearned for the perfect pub to reveal itself from some unexpected alley? Well, The Moon Underwater is the podcast for you. Join me, John Robbins, and the lovely Robin Allender as we help a special guest create their dream pub. From the drinks behind the bar to the music on the jukebox, The Moon Underwater is whatever you want it to be. So, if you would like to join us in Desire's beating heart, search The Moon Underwater. Or maybe The Moon Underwater will search for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So the final letter I asked you to think about was somebody who doesn't know the effect they've had on your life. So who would that be? So this is a slight, again, a slightly left field one. Not me. Um, <laughs> this is for my first boyfriend, um, Nick, who we don't speak anymore. Well, we occasionally we do, but he moved to Australia. Um, and it's slightly odd because he'd left me for someone else. He left me for one of our friends who we married. So it's quite a dramatic end to our relationship. We met around the time when I was diagnosed with HIV. So we met at college. And, you know, there was this really kind of, you know, exciting young love. It despite the fact that I had this kind of fling with this older guy, this was really the first, this was where I was with someone my own age and discovering, you know, all that heart fluttering feeling. And I think for both of us kind of going, oh my God, we are, we've, we've lived feeling like aliens almost you do as a gay person growing up. And then all of a sudden that all floods out when you realise that there are other people like you and that you can express that. So we were doing a production of, um, uh, Road, which is one of my favourite plays. And, you know, we were kind of like snogging behind like the scenery, you know, no one knew and it was all very exciting. Um, so, yeah, so we were together for eight years until 20, we were 24. And then and then he pulled a shitty move on me. Um, and, uh, you know, it was very dramatic. You know, there was like clothes being thrown out of the front window and all that kind of stuff because it was the end of the, you know, you've eight years together at that age, you think. That's so very northern of you, like a sort yeah. of northern sitcom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I look back and laugh now, but it was, you know, it felt quite real at the time and quite serious. But you, you, you regulate your emotions a bit better as you get older, I think. I think that being with somebody for eight years who then... Yeah. you mate yeah i'm saying it's fair, fair. yeah absolutely absolutely and you know and i i think we had quite a strong bond because of i, I remember so the day i i came home from the hospital uh, with the diagnosis um and i was we were messaging one another the messages were expensive back then you have to use all the characters oh, God, yeah, ten, like- 10 like, a message was, right? yeah really i remember when it was like 40 pay for a text yeah, message nobody gets messaged no so and i you know and i said you know i'm just i've uh, i've had some really bad news and i'm really upset and he he actually ran all the way from his parents house it was it was before he got a car and it was that's not that close it's quite a way like it's not just down the road and he came all the way and i remember standing in my parents attic and just crying and saying to him you know look this has happened and actually, I, don't, I, I genuinely meant this as well. I said, I don't blame you if you walk away because it's just so heavy. And actually, you're just discovering, you know, your sexuality. You've not even come out to your parents yet. It was like, it was, it was a lot of a kid to take on. And I, you know, which I think it's quite mature, actually, thing to say. Just like, you it's know, incredibly I, mature. I'm the but, mother of a 17-year-old. And you, yeah. 
Yeah. You put them to shame. Instead <laughs> of being that mature. But he just said, no, we stick it out together. Like, and that was, that. I think that cemented quite a strong bond, but potentially maybe not the healthiest bond over time because I think maybe there was this sense of like, having to stay together to honour that bond. And I think maybe he felt that to, as we kind of got further on in the relationship that he had to kind of honour that. And, you know, it's quite rare for people to meet at 16 and stay together for life. I mean, it's very rare for gay men. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> um, so, you know, you know, but the reason why I wanted to, to, to write this letter or talk about this was because despite that, you know, and I do joke, you know, I always, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on stage and, you know, I crack jokes with people and, you know, I say, you know, even my, even my cat left me like all my other boyfriends, you know, but actually, you know, we spent eight amazing years together and there was so much. And sometimes we forget that when when something is broken down or when we've had a you know the end of uh, end of a relationship's been messy we forget about all the good stuff and i think it's re- really important to remind yourself that it wasn't 8 years of crap like it was eight there was eight incredible years and you know he we 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 did everything you know we were young and stupid and we cheated on one another and we, you know we experimented we played around uh, we streaked naked we traveled the world together you know we went we went to India and Thailand and uh, we backpacked around Australia, you know, and in this van, this clapped out van driving through the outpack. We nearly died in a flash flood and a thunderstorm. You know, we just had all these incredible, like, life-forming experiences, these, like, real kind of moments. But I think through all that, there was always this fear and anxiety because this was pre... So n- now people on medication, we know, on HIV medication, if they're virally suppressed, cannot pass... Th- pass the virus on so now I can have unprotected sex with my my partner Sean but back then we didn't know that information and also I wasn't on medication for the first five years so there was always this fear and anxiety around sex and I think that was quite a lot to carry and then you know he supported me through starting medication which I was really sick when I started medication I had really bad side effects and it was it was a lot to carry and I don't always think that I was the best person to be around you know, and looking back, I think I'm more, much more in tune now because I've had a lot of therapy um, <laughs> on how the impacts, the, the emotional impact HIV has had on me, the psychological impact, you know, generalised anxiety disorder. I've got post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of it. And, you know, I'm you were 16 in, years yeah, old. I don't yeah, think that you can. Yeah. I mean, all 16 year olds think that they like I did, that they, you know, that, everything, you know, everything like. Now, as the mother of a 17-year-old, the thought of my son going through something like that and also having his sexual liberation to be so... And this is not an uncommon experience, actually, for young women, to be basically tainted with fear. It's easy to talk about in hindsight, but if you actually step into it as of now, it's a huge thing. It is. And I think the the reason why I wanted to write this and say thank you, you know, was that that even in those dark times and those times where I probably was difficult to be around and support and love, you know, he just used to make me laugh. Like, God, we got, I can't, we used to absolutely cry laughing. The, the most stupid thing, we used to dance. We had this thing about about, about high-waisted jeans. So we always, so we used to, if we were feeling down, we put 
put like women's jeans on really really high so you have you know have that really lovely like as to price wedgie and just put mute like 80s music on and dance and it just and it doesn't even sound funny but we just used to fall about laughing and you know and he just had this this wit and this humor that could really bring me out of that place and like i say you know inspiring me to go traveling when i got diagnosed there are so many countries you can't you're not supposed to pass through as hiv and i just went oh well that's it and those those dreams are not happening but he just went he just told me this was like he was like fuck it just do it he was like we can do it and we did and we made it work and we hid medication and we just i've just been through some countries illegally but without him i wouldn't have done it and i needed that person there beside me to you know to just kind of make me take the leap you know, because sometimes I am, before the HIV diagnosis, I think I've always been a bit of a, you know, a worrier, a what if. Like, I've only just, I've been wanting to get a tattoo for 30 years. I'm getting one in a few weeks' time. That's how long it's taken me to take that decision. So so to have someone like, you know, like Nick for eight years, who was there, you know, and, you know, it wasn't perfect. He was a dick sometimes. I was a dick sometimes, as all relationships. He was a dick sometimes. I mean, <laughs> in any one given dad. Absolutely, and it ended. It ended in the way it did. And maybe I think now with you know that was that was twenty four. That's eleven years ago now. Um, and I think now I'm at that stage where I can look back more nostalgically and go, actually, I really appreciate those times and i want to say thank you for that i think yeah oh well that's nice my, well i when i was 16 i started going out with my first boyfriend and i went out with him till i was 20 21 and when i broke up with him i went away with one of my mates to thailand and uh, i just felt like i'd wasted six years of my life and like and she made me every single day when we got up she made me talk about a happy memory of that six years because it wasn't a waste and it wasn't all shit it was like six years of your life and it mattered and don't like just remember the shit bit at the end um but yeah i think all 16 year old relationships from you know post the 1960s my parents got my mom married my dad when she was 16 um like all like everybody's just you just it's just a recipe for disaster frankly it's like cheating on each other i mean maybe kids these days aren't but like it was just like we all just cheated on each other all the time and then had the audacity to be upset about it like when you'd also done it yeah absolutely yeah yeah god i went i went to i moved away for uni and he stayed in manchester um you know so he was always traveling again that's nothing like he'd travel over i was in um near leeds i was at um, a place called Bretton hall which is in near yorkshire sculpture park it's a beautiful like campus with in the middle of the countryside with a 17th century mansion but you can imagine a load of arts kids in the middle of nowhere literally you couldn't you needed a car to get somewhere like once the sun went down that was it you were like locked down with yeah, we we had our we had our own bar on campus, you know, with the stuff that we got up to, um, you know, and we had a great, we, you know, we had a great time. I don't regret it, um, but you know, he, yeah, all that stuff happened, and he was there through it. You know, he was travelling over, and he was yeah by my side, and we, we we did write letters to one another. Now thinking about it, like more than the ones, like the ones I was joking about before, you know, the 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 ones from when he when he went on holiday and wrote me one every day. But, you know, I think we were, you know, we were young and in love, which is a beautiful feeling. And not not like when you get a bit older and you're cynical about it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, you know, I, I mean, I'm happy in the silence now. I've been with my husband for 20 years and it's just like, I see couples chatting and I think, haven't you been over this? Yeah. Haven't you, you discussed have... it already? Like, you, you, 
you must have covered this like yeah 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 I think I think if you can be comfortable in the in the presence of your partner, that's a real good sign. And my my new partner, Sean, you know, we've both lived a life like you know, as you, as you can hear about mine, and there's there's a lot more that I've not talked about. And you know, we've done the work now, and actually, you know, it's quite nice to be with someone who you just don't need to talk all the time, and you're comfortable because sometimes I think when you're less comfortable with people is when you try and talk. So, how would you sign off the letter to Nick? Okay, so Nick. Even though you were a bastard and eventually left me for someone else, time is a great healer. And I want to say how honoured I am for the eight years of this life you walked with me. Thank you for picking me up when I couldn't go on, encouraging me to grab life by the horns, showing me it really is for living to the absolute fullest and for all the uncontrollable side-splitting laughter we had whilst dancing with wedgies. Yours sincerely, Nathaniel. I mean, I really feel you've summed up an eight-year relationship there in that sometimes it is it is like one thing. Uh, on my deathbed, I will laugh about the fact, and it's not even funny, it's not funny. But when we, I had my first baby, I went into the hospital and they'd written, my husband, who's called Tom, they had written his name on uh, our notes as if his name was Ron Phillips and it was <laughs> made me laugh. Because we were like 24, and he yeah. was like 24, and I was like, that the thing you call Rob. <laughs> like, that makes me laugh, and will make me laugh for the rest of my life. And if I'm down, he can just say, it's all right, love, Ron Phillips is here. And I'll... <laughs> Like that, that, is, that is definitely real love. you got that little <laughs> joke. That's brilliant. Well, it, Nathaniel, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, it's like therapy talking to you. So uh, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for being the cusp point of the people who still write letters. <laughs> I thought you were going to say thank you for being someone who wrote, writes letters to themselves. I mean, also, <laughs> that is brilliant. I, I like it's original. Nobody else has. Everybody else has wanted to. Nobody has been so bold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm unique. But thank you anyway. It's been a joy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends telling them all about this podcast? You could also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.